This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 610. Prior to March, no one really knew what an electrostatic sprayer was, but now the Delta Airlines is fogging their airplanes. You know, we had solid suppliers and continue to work with them, but we needed to have a secondary source uh, because as the demand increased, uh, you know, it was a an area of risk that we were missing out on sales opportunities because we couldn't get the disinfecting chemicals into the marketplace fast enough, the actual foggers and sprayers into this market fast enough. So over the last you know, eight weeks, uh, we've added secondary sources in that. Uh, you know, those are the things that come up that you just have to be nimble. And in a finance leadership role, you've got to work with the operations team and the brand presidents or, or your, uh, you know, your COOs uh, to try and quickly address because you could potentially miss out on revenue producing opportunities.
In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Michael Barreca, CFO of Lynx Franchising. Michael, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Michael, we always begin uh, by asking our guests to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What what comes to mind for you? Yeah, thank, uh, thanks for that. So, you know, what's interesting for me is, is um, you know, it has nothing to do with technical training or, you know, on-the-job training or the actual, uh, you know, education behind the career. It's more the experiences along the way. And so, uh, my accounting and finance career uh, began in the early 2000s when I was actually a sophomore uh, in college. Uh, at that time, you know, prior to that, I had worked for uh, you know, public golf courses as a you know, barn kid, grabbing the cart, cleaning clubs, cleaning shoes, you know, interacting with some of the, uh, the regulars out there. Uh, but when I got to college, I realized that I wanted to make a career in accounting and finance. So, um, you know, I, I did an outreach, and this is actually something um, that, that I still continue to this day and, and as a mentor to others. Uh, you know, I asked for an opportunity. I raised my hand with the uh, Florida State University Department of Athletics and got an opportunity uh, in their department in the business operations to uh, start practicing my accounting and, and finance trade. And that that was done through outreach with to basically anybody who had the name, uh, you know, a director and an associate director, athletic director, whatever the case may be. Uh, I love sports. It's one of my uh, ways to get away. Uh, so it's killing me right now that we don't have any live sports on TV. Uh, but, you know, uh, I asked for an opportunity and said, you know, I'm a student here. I love the school. I love the, uh, you know, I love, I love accounting and finance. I want to build a career in it. Uh, and, you know, I got a call back from one of those letters from the athletic director at the time, a gentleman named Dave Hart. And I went in and met with him and he talked to the CFO of, of the athletics department and they gave me a shot. I became an AP uh, AR clerk uh, and spent uh, you know four years in that department working with them. They actually paid for my uh, master's in accounting. 
uh, at, on a scholarship and I was able to hone my skills there. But all of that really happened because I asked for an opportunity and I raised my hand and I still do that to this day and, and you know, ask for opportunities on new projects or areas that may not be in the finance area to get involved in, whether that be marketing or sales. Um, you know, I, I did also, uh, you know, have the opportunity off of that to go to KPMG uh, in South Florida in the Miami and Fort Lauderdale market. Uh, and that was my first real uh, experience with, you know, quote unquote, big business. Uh, you know, I was working with the likes of Royal Caribbean and Norwegian Cruise Lines and Marriott uh, International. Uh, and, you know, that taught me that you've really got to come prepared for meetings, anticipate questions and be damn sure you know what you're speaking about, uh, you know, and, and be willing to say, I don't know sometimes. Sometimes that's the right answer. Uh, but as long as you do, you know, the appropriate follow ups, uh, you know, I think that that, that is a uh, you know, that has been one of the most important uh, you know, skills that I have taken. And lastly, as I've moved into, you know, my leadership role as a, as a CFO here at Lynx, uh, you know, I'm involved in, you know, all aspects of the business from, you know, not only just the financials and closing the books and reporting our EBITDA uh, every month to our shareholders and to uh, analysts, uh, but uh, I'm involved with, you know, marketing decisions and, you know, what digital programs do we want to roll out, the cost of those and the paybacks we expect. And, you know, partnering with our franchisees, at, at, you know, in the Jampro brand and the Intelligent Office brands to, you know, co-invest in marketing opportunities or legal opportunities or supply chain opportunities. And, and really the, the thing I've taken away from that and, you know, not really having a sales background, uh, but one of my mentors and board members sat me down and said, hey, when you get the sale and your ask is granted, shut up, right? We have a tendency uh, to kind of continue to validate, uh, you know, what we're asking for. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's something that as I've looked at my career and the journey through my experience, I've taken those, those three things, right? Asking for opportunities and raising my hand, uh, you know, be sure I'm really prepared and know what I'm speaking about. And then lastly is when you get what you're asking and people agree with you, just stop. You, there's no need to further validate it. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, nice overview. I want to uh, find out about Lynx Franchising now. Tell us what this company does and what sets it apart from its competitors. Sure. Yeah. Th uh, so Lynx Franchising uh, is a holder of kind of commercial service-based franchising concepts. So we were headquartered in Alpharetta, Georgia. We were founded in 91. Uh, and, you know, we started with the JanPro commercial cleaning uh, franchise brands. We've recently added uh, the Intelligent Office uh, franchise brands. Uh, but, you know, we are uh, constantly looking at growing uh, within these two spaces, whether it be in the light industrial commercial cleaning, as well as professional services. So we're the master franchisor and obviously have franchisees around the world that uh, through their employees and their own franchisees on the Jampro side are, are delivering the services to the end customer. Um, what's great about being in a franchise into the second part uh, of your question around the volume, you know, kind of the value promise is that I'm in the business of supporting small business owners themselves, right? So on the Jampro side, uh, you know, I can clean, we offer cleaning and disinfecting uh, services to create a safer and healthier environment. Uh, you know, on the on the I.O. side, the intelligent office side, you know, I can offer uh, fractional, uh, you know, executive assistant administrative support for, you know, small and medium sized businesses. If you need a meeting room, if you need 
you want to expand into a geography and not take on all the uh, direct cost of a new lease. And, uh, you know, I can offer you, you know, a, a shared office uh, space environment. And so that's what's great to me and, and the value and the differentiator for us is I'm in the business to either one put others into business as new franchisees and support those already in business to help really, you know, allow them to realize their dream. And that's fine. You know, that's really what is makes this great is I've got common alignment from franchisee all the way up to me, all the way down to the end customer, right? Because my success is built on my franchisee success. My franchisee success is built by my customer being satisfied or their customers being satisfied with the services they're receiving. Now, you said this is a global company today. I'm curious, the largest lion's share of your revenue comes out of franchisees in the U.S. Is that fair to say or no? No, that is correct. Yeah, we, we do have operations uh, in Canada uh, for both brands. And on our Jampro side, we have uh, eight other countries that we operate in. But our primary business is the United States and the provinces of Canada. So you arrived there in 2017. So you've been there over three years now. What did you do uh, to begin moving uh, your team in the direction you wanted? And did you reorganize finance in some way? Yeah, we uh, we reorged uh, finance and, uh, you know, I built a team, really. When I joined, uh, it was after a private equity uh, acquisition. Uh, you know, they asked me to come in and, and help, you know, grow the brand and grow the brands and, and the value of Lynx franchising by adding other franchise concepts to it. Um, you know, so that I came into a business that was essentially run as a family owned business, right? We still had the founder involvement from Jam Pro side, uh, and we had a couple of team members on the accounting and finance side. And so um, they've been with me for, for you know, at this company, uh, you know, for 15 years. So a lot of tribal knowledge that I've, uh, I've kept, but they needed help, right? So we started building a bench of support uh, underneath my controller and accounting manager. Uh, we brought in uh, financial analysts to start growing our FP&A uh, side of, of the business. Uh, but underpinning all of this was with those employees that I inherited is I, I empowered them, right? I, I allowed them to own the ledgers, own the accounting and finance processes, make recommendations. You know, again, I made reference to this was a family owned business. And so there was a tendency to just push everything to, uh, you know, the founders and to, you know, the family uh, and really kind of pass the buck on any issues. And, and I really came into one, expand it, uh, expand the company, expand the department, but, you know, empower these people who, you know, own, can own the decisions and reach the solutions themselves, but they never were given that opportunity. And so that was a big part of my rebuild. You mentioned, I imagine, it wouldn't be a surprise to learn that the family members had one way of looking at the business or certain numbers that were always top of mind for them. And then you had the private equity partner who might have looked at things a little differently and said, these are the, the numbers that are important to us. And there you are, <laughs> sort of right there in the middle trying to say, well, here's what I think we should be looking at. And uh, what would you tell us a little bit about that experience and how you really identified the, the metrics that you believe helped uh, you understand how the company was performing. 
Yeah, you know, that all started with really understanding what, what we were selling, right? What are these franchisees that get interested in these opportunities? What are they buying and what are the levers that they can impact, uh, you know, in their own businesses? Because again, I go back to my earlier answer, we have common alignment, right? My success is built on my franchisee success. So I started off at the very bottom of, you know, really work, you know, meeting and calling franchisees to understand their business on the Jam Pro side building a, uh, you know, Excel-based financial model where I could put in different inputs uh, and try and understand, you know, what are the sales drivers in this business and, and what are the expense drivers in this business? And, and what would an input be? I'm curious. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, various inputs. Just help us understand better sure. what you're, you're getting at there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so uh, you, you know, leads and conversion you know so so how many how many new inquiries are we getting for our services and then from that uh you know how many were we able to make contact with and then from that how many were we able to actually deliver a proposal on and then from that you know how many were we able to close so it's kind of it starts at that basic sales of i get i get 10 people in today and i'm able to only get two of them to sign on the dotted line you know there's a progression through there uh, and trying to understand, you know, where those breakdowns and where we could improve upon the conversion processes. So it, it really came down to, you know, uh, to, to the, the new sales and some of those entries. And then uh, secondly, uh, you know, really on the account retention side, right? You know, making sure that once we worked hard to get those customers, that the customer service was at the highest level and looking at our account retention percentage month over month to make sure that we weren't losing them on the back end due to potentially poor service or uh, maybe you know we we thought they wanted some some type of cleaning service or some type of phone service on the intelligent office side and found out well that wasn't quite what their what their issue was and so we need to course correct and readjust the solution for them. I'm wondering if you uh, and we've been touching on this with a, a variety of finance leaders. So I appreciate you uh, uh, if you can help uh, us understand better. As you arrive, what you just described, that's really close collaboration with the sales team. That's helping them better understand why this type of information is going to be valuable to them as well. Um, and however, how did you first, yeah, did you, did you have all that visibility when you first stepped into the office? Did you find you had to, uh, maybe first uh, organize a regular meeting of some kind. Was there what? What exactly had to take place before uh, you built that relationship with sales? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, um, you know, on the Jam Pro side, uh, our commercial cleaning concept, we had been gathering a lot of the uh, you know sales data uh, direct from the field through a what we call a systems report. So it's kind of a, a consolidated report by franchisee each month that shows us you know their lead flow and their conversions and their uh, you know net new business added and their account loss amount each month so how much did they lose versus the prior month and then kind of what we call a net gain metric of hey i added this in new sales i lost this in in just a turn and so i had a net gain of a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars this month in a particular franchise location so I, I was lucky in that I walked into, um, you know, a brand that at least was collecting that. Uh, but what it be, what it became was we were collecting data and it was so what, right? So to your point, I had to meet with the sales and our field service directors, which are the folks that are out in the field 
meeting with the franchisees in person once a year and multiple times a year over the phone to review their business plans uh, and really understand that, okay, how can one, we influence these metrics and two, make sure I'm understanding what this means to uh, the financial model. But you're exactly right in that, um, you know, I had to set up time with, uh, you know, not only the sales folks, but uh, you know, the operational folks who were out in the field in support of these franchisees as well to make sure I was interpreting the data correctly. But we, we started off with at least collecting that data uh, on the Jampro side. On the intelligent office side, uh, we, we acquired that from a founder, a founder-owned concept as well, uh, and they were not collecting any of that data. So that became actually the first step in that was outreach and conversations with the franchisees and understand of help me understand your business, right? We went through the diligence and understood it when we acquired that brand, but then it really became, help me understand what you are looking at on a monthly basis as you track your franchise performance. And then we converted that into a, you know, a systems report where we gathered that critical data and we're tracking that. And now we're able to speak with the franchisees uh, in their language and understand that, you know, what we thought mattered really didn't matter to them. Now, have you, and I would imagine part of this is uh, your role as well, is does it involve the types of information the franchisees want from you? Have you introduced some sort of scorecard for them? Have you, you know, updated, uh, here's some more valuable information that we think you should, you know, be looking at more regularly. So we're going to, you know, supply it to you weekly instead of quarterly, whatever. I, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, no, great question. So, so obviously there's always the quid pro quo, right? We're asking for all this data in from you. And so we need to put something back out to them that they can, you know, that the franchisees can act upon. And so uh, you're exactly right in that, um, you know, monthly we have moved to what we gather the systems report. We, we put out that systems report that shows these operational metrics and ranks the franchisees by operational metrics to the entire franchise system. So they get a copy of this report. They can see how they're doing and how they're ranking. But what that does is, is two things is, is one, it creates a conversation between our field directors and our team and the franchisees on opportunities, right? You know, you were in the bottom quartile in lead flow uh, generation. How can we improve your lead generation, right? Let's walk through your process. Are you just sitting behind the screen waiting for digital leads to come in? Or are you augmenting that with an inside sales approach of, you know, outreach and cold calls and, and you know, traditional appointment setting. Um, so we produce them and it allows us to talk to them on an opportunity basis, but it also allows them, the franchisees, to talk to each other. You know, if I'm in Atlanta and I'm, I'm doing really well on inside sales, you know, I may get a call from some of the folks who are struggling to find out what I'm doing, but then I may look and say, you know, I may have a customer service issue because my account retention month over month is twice the system average. So let me call Memphis, who is number one in the system to find out, you know, how are they performing inspections? What are they doing from a Google review standpoint or a customer service, uh, you know, satisfaction survey standpoint? So it's allowed us to have targeted conversation with the franchisees, but I believe it's also allowed our franchisees to talk to each other and be proactive to uh, improve overall brand performance together. During your tenure, does any, uh, was there a, a certain business dynamic that you were seeking to 
make more top of mind or better exposed to the organization? Was there one something in particular where you were like, wow, this needs to be better understood and more people need to be keeping an eye on it? Anything like that come to mind when I, if I was to try to single something out or some, again, some sort of, keep it very general, a business dynamic of some kind? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll hit on, uh, you know, a recent one uh, since it's, you know, certainly most top of mind. I would say that over the three years here, you know, it's just been a lot of, um, you know, exploring different areas and looking for opportunities. But one that came to mind in particular uh, on our JamPro side is, uh, you know, was our supply chain as, as the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, you know, came out and, you know, slow and, and started to really, uh, you know, be a firestorm across the country. Uh, we realized that, uh, you know, our chemical providers were smaller organizations and our demand was increasing for disinfecting services. And, uh, you know, our suppliers uh, couldn't keep up with that. The delivery system, the foggers, right, the electrostatic sprayers that everybody here's talked about now, uh, that prior to March, no one really knew what an electrostatic sprayer was, but now the Delta Airlines is fogging their airplanes, uh, you know, daily or, or multiple times daily. And what we found is, uh, you know, we had solid suppliers and continue to work with them, but we needed to have a secondary source uh, because as the demand increased, uh, you know, it was a an area of risk that we were missing out on sales opportunities because we couldn't get the disinfecting chemicals into the marketplace fast enough. We couldn't get the delivery uh, mechanisms, the actual foggers and sprayers into this market fast enough. So over the last, you know, eight weeks, uh, we've added secondary sources in that. And so, uh, you know, those are the things that come up that you just have to be nimble. And in a, as, in a finance leadership role, you've got to work with the operations team. Uh, and the brand presidents or, or your, uh, you know, your COOs uh, to try and quickly address because you're missing out on, you know, rever you could potentially miss out on revenue producing opportunities. So it's interesting because we would uh, suspect there's a huge opportunity here for for this business and these types of services. And at the same time, though. There's a lot of uh, doubts uh, in commercial real estate these days as well. How do you look at it? What What is it? And again, it's still early, uh, clearly. Uh, but when you, you look going forward, um, opportunities and risks. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for uh, both of our brands. You know, obviously the one that jumps to mind is Champro. It's in the commercial cleaning space and disinfecting space, right? So we're in a very good place with that brand. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the health of the community and the health of the workplace is going to be front of mind for every business out there, uh, you know, certainly more so than it was in the past. And so, you know, we're well positioned now, as I mentioned, we shored up our supply chain so we can continue to uh, service that increased uh, demand. Uh, I also am excited by the intelligent office side of business. I think, you know, as you mentioned, um, your your, uh, your listening base is, is finance leaders and finance minded folks who um, you know, we, we've got a brand here, an intelligent office uh, that is kind of unknown right now. So it's a big opportunity for us to increase that brand awareness. Uh, but, you know, we offer a service to companies where um, you don't need to hire uh, a full time, you know, administrative assistant or administrative resource. We can handle inbound phone calls and scheduling phone calls and intake uh, intake forms. Um, you know, to your point about commercial real estate, there's a lot of companies that are going to look to, uh, you know, to decrease the amount of square footage that they have on a on a fixed basis, and so 
we offer an effective way to get a fractional uh, share of real estate right through a shared co-working uh, type environment, dedicated offices, uh, you know, ability to use uh, conference rooms, uh, all at a fraction of the cost. Right, there, you're paying for usage, and you're not having that kind of sunk cost of just an ongoing lease that is set for you know five, seven, eight years. Uh, the intelligent office offering. I think you mentioned it was an acquisition, but can you give us some more of the history there, how uh, how that became part of the business? Sure. So we acquired Intelligent Office. Uh, Intelligent Office began in the early 90s uh, out in the Denver area, and it's it's grown into uh, you know a franchise system that has about 60 locations across the U.S., uh, mostly in the major metropolitan areas, like we have a big presence across Washington, D.C., uh, the Denver market. Uh, as well as here in the Atlanta market. Uh, and so it's a uh, it, it's a concept that we acquired and has always been out there. But I don't think uh, folks are really aware of it because the natural reaction is to I have an expanding business. I automatically need more space. Let's enter into a lease rather than exploring potentially maybe I maybe I only need a few offices. And, you know, if I have some spillover space, I can I can utilize, uh, you know, a, a brand such as Intelligent Office for that. Uh, or, you know, I've got an inflow of inbound calls or, uh, you know, I may have customer service calls that come in that, you know, I need to hire some more CSRs, customer service, uh, you know, uh, representatives. And this is an offering that we can do for you through the Intelligent Office. Right? We're taking on the cost of our franchisees are taking on the cost of the W-2 and all of the health benefits, and you're just paying for the number of minutes that you use or the phone plan that you develop uh, as a business owner. So it's a it's a concept that has been out there. And as I mentioned in my comment, it's one that we are looking to actively uh, grow and make, make sure that business leaders and finance leaders are aware that there's another way to uh, perform business than the traditional hiring and just continue to grow your real estate approach. Okay, just just in terms of just stepping back uh, regarding the the pandemic, certainly many businesses have cut back on on cleaning services at the same time. So you're looking as a CFO, you're looking forward to determine the potential for a recovery in early 2021. What or what is your what is your read on things and and maybe different parts of the country clearly would be different. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think it's going to take till 2021 to start seeing us back to, um, you know, certainly where we were uh, from kind of a March kind of activity sales level from our business standpoint. I think by uh, the start of Q4 of 20, so, you know, around October, uh, we should kind of be right back to our pre-COVID uh, sales levels. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really watching. And, and the reason I say that is I'm watching, um, you know, really non-traditional metrics right now that I typically wouldn't have looked at to gauge that performance. And, and what I mean by that is I'm watching our uh, equipment and chemical purchase volumes, right? And that's a big driver of demand. The more that we're buying and our franchise system is buying disinfectants, the more that means places are starting to reopen. We're going in and doing a deep clean ahead of time. And then they're getting ready for customers to come in. Um, watching the digital lead flow, right? The marketers and marketing analysts out there are familiar with the digital lead flow, but we're seeing an increase in on the intelligent office side, folks looking for, uh, you know, private space where they can go and get out of the house and work from, but is you know not an open co-working environment. 
that's what we offer from an intelligent office. And then, you know, the other thing I'm watching, at least here in the Atlanta area, and, and probably a lot of your listeners experience this, is, is, you know, our commute times are getting a little bit longer, more and more. We've been lucky. We've uh, headed back to the office in, in mid-May. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're kind of on a, a couple days work from home, a couple days in the office kind of set up. But I'm noticing in the last couple of weeks, the commute times are starting to get uh, longer and longer. Uh, which is interesting to watch because that means more businesses are opening. And to your point earlier, you know, certainly from our cleaning side, uh, that means more locations that open, the more uh, opportunities there are for us to clean and disinfect. Yeah. So uh, who would have thought we'd all be so happy to hear about longer uh, commuting times? Some thoughtful metrics there. Thank you. And now we're going to we're going to jump to our uh, finance strategic moment question, whether it was a risk you avoided or an opportunity that uh, the numbers seem to indicate. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? I think the the, the primary item that jumps to mind was a real, uh, I'll call it a change in business, uh, you know, business model and approach. And what I mean by that, and I'll elaborate, is I was at uh, Focus Brands here in uh, the Atlanta area uh, in the corporate finance department. And we had uh, a couple of uh, our franchise brands where we had almost 100 uh, op- locations that we operated ourselves as the franchisor. Uh, And so we sat down, uh, myself and the CFO at the time and the CEO, uh, and and, uh, reviewed a plan uh, to read what we call refranchise these locations. So change them from company-owned locations to franchise locations. Uh, And all of this was led from, uh, you know, just looking at ways to improve our, uh, you know, our, our EBITDA uh, margin percentage, right? We wanted to increase our margin percentage, uh, but then keep our EBITDA essentially neutral from a dollar amount. And so, uh, you know, it became clear that the overhead, the cost of the food and and all the fixed costs associated with operating company markets were driving our margin down, but they were producing, you know, pretty significant dollar EBITDA to us. And so we sat down and said, but if we refranchise these, sell these to new franchise candidates or existing franchisees in their territory, allow them to operate it. You know, we can uh, we can hold our our EBITDA dollars neutral uh, from royalties and fees and lower costs, uh, but improve our margin. And that was really all driven from uh, an evening session of sitting down and trying, you know, just putting this into an Excel model and it kind of popped out. And it led to, uh, you know, an opportunity for me personally and our company at the time to uh, explore this. I presented it to the CFO and CEO at the time, and and they bought into it. We went to our private equity owners, presented it. They bought into it. And then I led the execution uh, of the refranchise of these, you know, 50, uh, 50 plus locations across two brands, uh, all while achieving our goals of, you know, improving our margin percentage and, you know, retaining the EBITDA dollar amount. So. That was my first real moment into, you know, you can make an impact. You, you can develop a plan, really go execute it, on, uh, execute it, and then see it in the financial results uh, at the end of the day. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, 
we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back and entering the mentoring round with CFO Michael Barreca. Michael, what do you wish someone had told you the first time you stepped in to the CFO office there? Uh, what, again, your first week or your first quarter, if you could go back in time, three, a little over three years ago now, what would you have told yourself? Yeah, uh, great question. I think I think it's actually two things. Uh, number one is, uh, you know, the decision really stops with you, right? You know, particularly in the first time uh, CFO role, uh, you know, in the first week I was presented uh, with a, you know, very simple task, but it made me uh, realize which was electing and, and uh, moving forward with our uh, new benefits program for all of uh, across our entire organization. And it's one of those where you don't really think about it, but until you're in the role, um, you know, you're, you're as the number two or even down at the analyst level, you're, you're reviewing it, you're going through the pros and cons of each, and then you present it, right? And then you're a part of the decision, but you don't really make the decision. Uh, I, I quickly realized as the CFO, uh, you are the decision maker, and when that decision is made, that's the plan uh, that's going to be executed. Um, kind of off of that, the second item uh, I wish someone had told me was, and, and it's a great aspect for me because I'm constantly looking to learn, uh, is that you know finance will drive pretty much all business decisions. I hate to sound that way, but uh, whether you're sitting down and meeting with the head of marketing uh, or your you know head of operations and discussing supply chain and distribution models, um, you know they will look to you to confirm that this is not going to hurt the business, that it's going to be accretive to the business, uh, and you really are involved in every decision from sales all the way down to the simple you know, month-end accrual uh, type decisions and conversation. That, that was an eye-opener for me because uh, I had always thought is that you know finance will input a lot, but I, I am finding that finance inputs, but also uh, tends to have a lot of say in the final decision as well as the CFO. Okay, great, great uh, insight there. Thank you. Uh, do you. Do you have a personal habit? We like to ask finance leaders to reflect a little bit about the themselves on the personal side. Do you have a daily routine or something that you believe has sort of put you on an even keel professionally along the way? Something yeah. you do personally? Yeah, I do. I, I, I'd say that, you know, the the personal professional item there is I, I have a habit and I'm religious about it of actually um, reading through the Wall Street Journal and in particular uh, the front page and the little snippets uh, uh, that they uh, that they provide around kind of the key takeaways. And if you want to dig you know, in the day's events, and if you want to dig into the article, you know, they, they send you a link to that page. I think that's important for me to understand what's going on in the marketplace, uh, you know, helps me think about well, you know, if this if this company, even a Verizon or a Google is looking at their company that way, maybe I should I should take the same approach and look at, at my company and links in that way. Uh, so, you know, that kind of keeps me grounded from a professional standpoint and understanding what's going on in the marketplace. I think the personal uh, side of things is is I disconnect every week for at least, uh, you know, four or five hours. Uh, my wife is uh, 
uh, you know, love of my life and, and understands that golf is my passion outside of the office. <laughs> Uh, and so I play golf with a, I've got a group text of nine buddies that we set up a uh, recurring round of golf that we'll play as a fivesome at golf course I play in here in the area uh, every Saturday morning at, at 810. Uh, it's a great way to disconnect. I don't look at my phone at all for any emails coming in. Uh, you know, I have some good laughs with some great friends. We listen to music. Uh, we play uh, a nice round of golf. And I tell you what, it really does de-stress me. Uh, from the week. And, you know, and like I said, I have a very uh, loving wife and that she allows me to do that every week. <laughs> is there a, is there a book or a text that uh, you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, you know, actually, um, uh, you know, from a, from a business book standpoint, um, you know, the, the one that always sticks out to me, I fall back on and I read it, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I first was uh, finalizing my master's degree. Uh, and it's actually the five temptations of a CEO uh, by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, I think that that can apply to anybody, uh, whether you are a department head, a senior executive, uh, supervisor, right? Because I think it lays out, uh, you know, how to be a good leader in particular, uh, you know, not wanting uh, to be popular all the time. You know, you have to make the difficult decisions and, you know, sometimes you're not going to be liked over that. Uh, two is, you know, make a decision, right? And, and, and move quickly, right? You know, don't wait on the perfect information because sometimes, uh, you know, waiting is just as bad as the incorrect decision and then course correcting uh, a little bit later. And so, you know, I think that's, I, I've always had that book as a point of reference for me and the five takeaways from that book, because it's also aligned to what, uh, you know, a mentor has always told me about being in a, being in a CFO role, which is, um, you know, when you go into an event and your company is there is you don't want to be the guy that everybody loves as the CFO, right? What you want is half that room who, who likes you half that room who probably, uh, you know, you may have had a run in with, but ultimately 100% of that room respects you because you're fair, you're balanced. You can't always say yes as a CFO. And, you know, that aligns, uh, that, that advice from my mentor and who I still talk to regularly today. Uh, you know, lines well back to that book that I, that I highly recommend for anybody. So we're up to our final question, whereas we, when we ask you to look forward for us and tell us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, uh, I, I'm in a very enviable situation in that I have uh, brands and JanPro and, and Intelligent Office uh, that all companies and of any size can really benefit from, right? They can benefit from obviously the health and well-being of the disinfecting and cleaning service. But, uh, you know, I think the lower cost and the flexibility that we offer of, through our uh, phone service or real estate plans on the intelligent office side uh, can impact a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, end customers and end business out there. And so, you know, my number one is taking advantage of this returning market, you know, adding what would have been, uh, you know, maybe special services or special items as recurring uh, revenue solutions for uh, our end customers and our businesses. I think, too, uh, you know, obviously I mentioned that we acquired uh, Link, you know, we acquired Intelligent Office as part of building the Lynx franchising, uh, you know, concept. Uh, so I think, you know, continuing down the M&A uh, front and looking for the right brands to keep adding 
uh, and building, uh, you know, the Lynx franchising enterprise, but also looking for brands that fit our culture, brands that fit our other brands for cross-selling and, syner- and synergy ideas uh, and synergies. And I think lastly, you know, it's capturing new customers who previously would have been dismissive of our offerings prior to, you know, COVID. I think, uh, you know, historically we've had uh, some customers such as, you know, state governments who uh, wouldn't disinfect their subway cars or buses on a on a daily basis now who are interested in doing that. And we can do that at a very cost effective price, uh, you know, and I think on the intelligent office size aside, you know, we had historically... Uh, you know, gone after, uh, you know, smaller businesses and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. But I think there are mid-tier companies that are similar in size to a Lynx franchising who can uh, take advantage of our offering from the intelligent office side and not have to hire, you know, W-2 employees to be customer service representatives or, uh, you know, or executive admin assistants, right? We can do that for you at a fraction of the cost and provide flexibility uh, by only working on what you want us to work on. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for us in this marketplace, and I'm excited by it. Michael Bureka, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.